Hi, I'm Nat. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to Compass Mentis. Lawyers talking about well-being in law. Brought to you by Bottled Snail. This is episode 14, Lawyer and Passion. So Nat, today we are talking about passion. Yes, interesting topic. Um, I think passion for law is something that often comes up, but we're also talking about passion projects, side projects, and recreation and things going on outside our lives in the law. We might just start by defining what we mean when we talk about passion. What does passion mean to you, Nat? So passion to me is something that we feel excited about and not just something that we like, but something that's important to us and that we're willing to spend quite a bit of time and energy on. And I think that that goes to the values alignment aspect of life that we've been talking a lot about recently. This idea that it's driven by your core principles that are kind of your guiding framework. And I think that that applies equally to your work as it does your um, co-curricular activities, as it were. Yeah, and I think things that you're passionate about, you feel quite motivated about. So, or initially at the start you do, and it's kind of easy to get on with things that you're passionate about, although not always easy to make time for them. That's um, right. When you have other things in your life. That's right. And I think another aspect that separates a passion from, say, perhaps an interest or a hobby, although sometimes, and they often do align, um, is that it can become part of your identity or how you define yourself. So for a lot of people uh, who are passionate about the law and work as lawyers, I think that it becomes part of who you are and you define yourself as a lawyer as part of your identity and it can be the same with um, a side project that you might have. It's interesting isn't it people often say to me oh being a barrister like do you have to be really passionate about the law to be a barrister and I mean I think if you are that's an amazing thing I'm pretty passionate about the law but not everybody is and you know there are ways to be good at your job and to um, get a lot out of it without necessarily having a passion for something too. Absolutely and I I tend to think that it's a more recent thing compared to history and how people perhaps approach their work that our generation more and more expect their job to give them many many different things not just an income and one of those things is to perhaps feel like they're making a meaningful contribution but also to be happy at work um, and perhaps be passionate about what they do but I don't think that that is always realistic and certainly not throughout the course of your whole career will that probably be your experience and that's I guess where the side project idea comes in because it's really great to have something that um is a passion outside of work although when you're working really hard and you don't have a lot of time sometimes that can be the first thing to go I know a lot of the research on working mothers says that recreation is um very low in the priorities of working mothers because they're sort of running families and running jobs as well. Mm. So why do you think it is so important to have something else outside your job that's a passion? Well, I think the identity aspect of it's really important because if something does sort of go wrong in your professional space um, and that is your entire identity, that's quite risky because you can kind of be left with nothing. And that, um, I guess, can happen to anyone at any time for a variety of reasons. And if you've got other interests and other important things in your life, then you're able to engage with those things and have an identity through that. 
But there's so many things. I think it's so important to have something that um, engages you on a regular basis that you find nourishing and something to sort of just look forward to every day. I like this idea of, of nourishing and uh, versus depleting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I heard about that recently and it's basically that in life and in every day there are different things that are nourishing and different things that are depleting. And if at the end of your day um, the depleting things sort of outweigh the nourishing things, you're not going to be particularly happy. So if you can look at the day and kind of say, well, these things are nourishing and these things are depleting and then make the things that are um, depleting more nourishing. So, for example, sitting in traffic might be depleting. Um, However, listening to a really great podcast while you're sitting in traffic might be nourishing. So if you can sort of try and balance those things, it's really important. Mm -hmm. But people who don't have a lot of time for side projects and recreation don't have the opportunity for that nourishment and it's such a big thing to miss out on. Mm. I really love that Um, and perhaps it can work on multiple levels in a big and small way so you can find that small nourishment throughout your day by doing things uh, as you say like listening to a podcast or music on the way to work that improves your commute um, versus having that bigger piece in your life which is something outside of your work that inspires you and you feel passionate about and that you can put your um, energy towards that in turn reaps well-being benefits. I think it can be really hard for some lawyers that do long hours when you're asked the question what do you do outside of work and I know myself I've been asked that question and I've just sort of stared blankly back at the person trying to think of something that wasn't along the lines of well you know I'm generally exhausted and getting everything else together so that I can work the next week. (laughs) Um, but, and I definitely know there's been times in my life where it hasn't felt possible to have sort of side projects and nourishing activities going on outside work, but it's so important to do so. And when I have, I felt it was a really, really valuable thing to add to my life. And it's also something that improves your practice because you're always building different skills and extending yourself and, you know, hopefully feeling more motivated and more energetic about life in general. And I think that some people might come from the perspective that having something else in your life that you're dedicating time to might detract from um, your professional abilities or um, whatnot. But what you've said is a really good example, I think, of the fact that it can be the opposite and it can re-energise you and give you a fresh perspective to bring to law, give you some new skills to bring to the law um, and from a well-being perspective I think that it just the returns are you know twofold or more um, on that basis and like you've described if things go wrong perhaps in the law and that's the one thing in your life it can be a really dangerous position for your mental health um, and already having a different activity out there and different networks um, of people socially as well I think it's from a risk management perspective, a really good thing as well. It also allows you to sort of be more connected, you know, building relationships and they might be within the law and they might be outside the law. But I suppose from a um, sort of perspective of just making connections with different people and learning about their lives and that sort of thing. Would you have any tips for how someone might be able to identify their passion? Because I've definitely before we started this podcast, <laughs> kind of, you know, reflected on those days where I was sitting at my law firm, just staring at the computer for 12-hour days and thinking, hmm. How did I get here? <laughs> <laughs> well, more, is there something else I could be doing in my life, um, you know, to supplement um, how perhaps at that point in time depleting um, work could be? 
and finding something additional to nourish me but not even knowing where where to start and it's really hard when you are under the pump to kind of come up with these things and sometimes it just doesn't feel like you even have the time to consider developing some sort of um, side project but one of the things I would say that's a really um, useful thing is to look back at your life when you were perhaps at school or maybe at uni and to think about the co-curricular activities or the subjects that you really really enjoyed then because there will be something and it might be um, you know art or maybe you're involved in music or drama or it might be a particular sport there will be something that stands out from your past where you can kind of identify oh actually um, I did have a passion for that I'm pretty sure that anyone who's sort of looking at their high school years and their primary school years wasn't necessarily reading high court cases if they even knew what a high court case was. So there'll be something there that's not law and that might be a good way in to find um, some kind of recreation or side project. And I mean, the other thing that's great about side projects and recreation is you don't actually have to be particularly good at them to enjoy them or to do them and you can just take them as a complete learning opportunity including podcasting, which was a big learning opportunity for both of us because we had to use software that we'd never used before. We had to think about lots of different things and lots of um, topics and ways to kind of improve the podcast, um, ways to market the podcast. And it can be so engaging to sort of do something that is new and challenging, but not necessarily in a professional sense where there's time pressures and there's budgets and things like that. You're kind of away from those measures and it's really just, well, you're doing it for the sake of your enjoyment. Totally. And I think just going back to identifying your passion, another really helpful perhaps question that you could ask yourself is, um, if money were no object, Ah, what (laughs) is it that I would want to be doing with my life or in my life? And it's kind of, yeah, removing the day-to-day realism from the situation. But then also it doesn't have to be about talent is the other thing. So it doesn't need to be something that will actually sustain you um, financially but just having a think that if if money were no limit um, and you had all of the time and, and resources in the world what is it that you'd want to pursue I think can be a really helpful doorway into what your passion might be the music or learning more about a type of music that you don't know much about it doesn't sort of have to be a huge undertaking it's amazing when you can involve yourself in um a passion project that's good for your well-being and I think most of them are like any sort of exercise even learning more about meditation could be a project formal learning or informal learning there are just so many opportunities and I think those that do tie into our well-being are more motivating in the longer term it's a really good opportunity I think just also considering left brain right brain type thinking to perhaps exercise a different hemisphere of your brain than you might be doing at work say when we're being quite logical and analytical day-to-day advising clients, analysing the law reading cases, the creative side of our brain that is far more about spontaneity or making random connections uh, can be quite dormant. And there's a way of understanding passions as harmonious and obsessive and obsessive passions sort of conflict with aspects of our identities and other important Uh, things that we do whereas harmonious passions fit with what we're doing so I think what it would be is to look for those harmonious passions um, and become wary of obsessive passions as well yeah so we'll link to a really great article by Mark Lee uh, in the Law Institute of Victoria's journal called Healthy Passion or Obsession where he explores that dichotomy and I think that there is perhaps a risk with um 
the personality types of lawyers, <laughs> that a passion might become obsessive, whether that be in the law or outside of our jobs. And just being aware that perhaps that type of passion is associated with poorer psychological well-being um, and physical health and an increased likelihood of burnout because it's more likely to be one that's in fact depleting you rather than energising or nourishing you. And instead, we want to look for that harmonious passion, um, which builds us up and gives us energy rather than the opposite. Um, the last time I had to think in depth about my passions is when I was on maternity leave, because all of a sudden I sort of had a very different timetable to fit with. And I didn't, I guess, have the intellectual engagement that I'd been used to with work. And it was actually really interesting because I did sort of look back at things that I'd enjoyed as a kid and kind of re-engage um, with some of those. But, you know, things can change really quickly in our lives and it's great to have those things to go back to in a way that's not competitive or is um, not sort of for the purpose of any specific kind of measurable gain, but just truly for fun and for engagement. And I think you've touched on a, another important point there, Nat, which is that passions can be dynamic and we can have and develop different ones throughout our life and we might pick up something like, painting that then changes and doesn't do it for us anymore um, and that also sometimes you just need to throw your hat in the ring and try a bunch of things and find out that it's not for you you know that's so true so through the podcast we've been pretty lucky because this has been a passion project for us it's obviously non-commercial you get to listen to it for free and we're now very lucky to have bottled snail but we've also come across some amazing lawyers that are doing really cool things outside work that have been able to share their skills with us and that's the other great thing about recreation is that it's quite a generous sort of state because you're not really necessarily doing it for any sort of commercial or professional gain. So we've had Lucy, who's taken our photos, Hugh Crossfate, who's assisted with our mastering, and also everyone that we've met through Bottled Snail who are also doing creative projects. I got to interview Sam Pierce and Amy Nguyen. Let's have a listen to what they had to say. I'm here today with Sam Pierce and Amy Nguyen. Sam is a medical negligence lawyer at Morris Blackburn Lawyers. He deals with complex medical questions and complex legal questions every day. Sam is also directing Bottled Snail's major theatre production, Into the Woods, in 2017 and 2018. Amy Nguyen is a senior associate at Clayton Newts in the mergers and acquisitions corporate team. She also founded the Melbourne Lawyers Orchestra and is the manager at the Melbourne Lawyers Orchestra. Amy's also the musical director band for Into the Woods in 2017 and 2018. So, you guys, you've got a lot on your plate. Can you start by telling us a little bit about the show? Yeah, sure. So, um, Into the Woods is Bottled Snail's major musical production for 2018. It is a story about, I guess it's a story that intertwines a number of different stories some of the classic fairy tales from the Grimm's brothers and the like. Um, so we've got Cinderella, we've got Little Red Riding Hood, Rapunzel. We're also introduced uh, to a poor baker and his wife who can't have a child because of a curse that's been placed upon <laughs> their house by the witch living next door. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Who's actually involved in the show? Uh, well, uh, we've got a cast of about 20 people, I think, maybe 19. Um, and the cast members range from a different backgrounds. So we've got um, lawyers, both in-house lawyers and um, lawyers working in private practice. We've got barrister. We've got a former judge. 
and then legal students and legal support staff as well. Um, and then we've got a production team as well, which is made up of legal support staff, lawyers and barristers. Um, so mostly just members of the legal industry. <laughs> and so what are the production's goals in terms of um, wellbeing for lawyers? Uh, well, Bottle Snail was set up um, as a company that produces um, theatrical, artistic, musical productions um, for, for members of the legal industry. We believe that um, providing a creative outlet to members of the legal industry helps to promote positive uh, mental health and wellbeing um, and also facilitate a healthy work-life balance. Um, so I suppose uh, this production, like other Bottle Snail productions, is motivated by that same aim. I've found, and people who are who participate in the Lawyers Orchestra, um, one thing they really get out of it is just making really deep connections with other people in the mm. law. And yeah, that's so really important for wellbeing too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And just being able to spend time with people who share your interests and are similarly passionate about something you're passionate in and work together to produce something magnificent, yeah. um, people find that really rewarding. And yeah. so many great friendships have been formed. Um, mm. in the MLO and in Parade and I'm sure yeah. in all the other Bottles Now productions as well. I think community is a big aspect of it um, and it's not just um, working together to create something special um, and the thrill of, mm. of being mm. able to pull it off. Mm. Um, it's also just connecting with people within the industry yeah. who share similar passions and interests to you. I remember with Parade when we had the callback audition, so I was in the last music which Amy was also involved yeah. in, um, <laughs> I remember walking into the callbacks and um, a barrister that I use, I brief all the time, was there and he walked in. And at first I was a little bit shocked and embarrassed. So I was <laughs> That's like, amazing. No, we've got but you never would have known that you had that no. shared connection outside no. work because it doesn't necessarily come up, does it? Yeah. Not at all. And I think we, we both had quite a serious relationship. I think we can both be quite serious in our jobs and quite formal. Mm. Um, but then as a result of this production, now we've just got that extra that that connection yeah I guess. and it's sort of a friendship outside just the work yeah, that you've done together absolutely. yeah that's a fantastic example one of the things as lawyers that and we've spoken about this on the podcast before is that we sort of have like this disease that we're always busy and we don't really have time and <laughs> often that's an excuse that um, I mean I know I've talked myself that um not to be involved in creative pursuits is that something that either of you have sort of experienced or how have you found the time to do um what you both do from my perspective, I think I am involved with the MLO and all these projects because I just love it so much and I couldn't imagine a life without music, without theatre. Um, so when you love something that much, I think you, you make time for it. Mm. Fair enough, it is really, really hard. <laughs> but um, that's, where I, that's where I come from. I mean, I grew up playing instruments from age four, so... Uh, when I moved to Melbourne and started working in the law, I kind of stopped doing that and I really, really missed it. So now I just make a point of making time for it because um, it just brings so much joy to my life. And like other people in the orchestra have said the same thing. You know, they haven't played their flute for 20 years and this opportunity has come up and now they've joined the orchestra and they love it So and they make time for it. So, But it's hard. 
I think I've had a similar experience. So um, growing up, I was sort of your typical drama nerd. Um, <laughs> as soon as I started school, I think I was in every single theatrical production, both straight theatre and musical theatre mm. that the school put on. And it was one of those really intense drama-focused schools, so there was quite a lot of productions. I also did a bit of theatre outside of school. My parents put me in drama camps during the <laughs> summer. So um, I was really involved in... Um, performance mm. um, but then once I finished school and started my law degree I found it actually really difficult to balance that um, with my study commitments mm. and also work I was working mm. as well so it actually dropped off quite a bit once I started uni and then once I got to I did do you know the odd university student theatre production and some amateur productions but um, as I guess the university course progressed and became more intense and then once mm. I entered the workforce mm. it became really difficult to balance it so I think that's a really common story yeah <laughs> yeah so but the great thing about Bold Snail is that because um it's run by lawyers um I think that Bob Snell understands the pressures and the the demands of mm. the legal industry yeah, and so sure. it's very much tailored um to ensure that people can achieve that balance and can actually participate and fit that around their work commitments yeah Yeah, I really like the way you've organized the rehearsal schedule that it is totally tailored to lawyers um, who (laughs) might not be able to participate in other things in the community that they have interest in just because they start at a time that they actually Mm. can't realistically get there yeah so it sounds like you both sort of found your way back into a creative outlet having been quite Um, creative growing up and I think as we said that's a very common theme for lawyers and obviously creativity is such an important skill for us but it's not always recognized how did you sort of find your way back into a creative pursuit having maybe let it go for a few years oh man so I basically created or founded the orchestra out of a selfish interest (laughs) self-interest because I couldn't find a community orchestra that I could commit to like we said you know we've got such unpredictable Mm. schedules and work pressures so I basically um, founded the orchestra with the help of bottled snail look I found that when I wasn't when I first started out um, in my career Mm. and I wasn't doing production it it did feel like I was lacking something Mm. um, in my life there's something about performing that I get a lot out of it. And it's not just the thrill of, I guess, standing in front of an audience because I'm actually someone who doesn't like to be the centre of attention. <laughs> um, for me, it's like the transformative aspect of performance, yeah. be- becoming a different character and telling a story and being part of a story. Mm. Um, it really gives you the opportunity to, um, I guess, just focus on that storytelling mm. and... and um, Everything else, whether it be, you know, some big case you're working on at work or, you know, work politics or something yeah. something in your personal life, that all falls away and you mm. don't think about it and you're just focused on the performance. When you've got a production happening or rehearsals for a particular performance, what does your sort of typical week look like? I remember being involved in Parade last time. Um, so the production ran for a week, I think. Mm. Um, so I would, to fit it in to my normal working day... I would get in to work early to mm. make sure I got all my work done by, say, 4 o'clock mm. so that I could leave without, you know, anything hanging over the top of my head and without a guilty conscience. Um, <laughs> Sounds like this might have actually been increasing productivity at work rather than... Oh, yeah, because um, <laughs> you just want to get your work done so yeah. you don't have to do your show. 
Um, and but in terms of the orchestra, it's um, once a week rehearsal and then the concert, you know, at the end of a 12 week rehearsal period. So it's actually not too um, onerous. Mm. Um, it's two hour weekly rehearsals. Um, and then with a bit of practice on the side, you just kind of put it in. The thing that I found really helpful is our rehearsals are on Wednesday nights and, mm. you know, often work throws things at you at you know, 5 pm on a Wednesday and you can't get to rehearsal. Um, but what I found really helpful is having a conversation with the people I work with so that they know, you know, Wednesday nights are off limits for Amy. She's got to go to orchestra. That's just her thing. For those of us that might be in a bit of a creativity rut but would like to sort of reach out to either find a passion that might be new to them or to get in touch with something that they've been involved in in the past, what are your tips? Obviously, for those in Melbourne, get involved in Bottled Snail. (laughs) But beyond that, how do you sort of suggest that people get out of that rut? I think make the time to pursue these Mm. sort of creative passions if you have them because Mm. it really does, I think, from my own personal experience, it does really help with your well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it actually increases my productivity at work because I know that, as I was saying before, I've got something else going on that I yeah. want to get to. Yeah. So I'll, you know, <laughs> make sure that I'm finishing things efficiently so yeah. that I can, I can get back to um, working on that, that thing that I'm excited and passionate about. Thanks, guys. We very much look forward to seeing Into the Woods in February 2018 at the Gasworks Theatre. Check out the Bottled Snail website or Facebook page for how to buy tickets and you can also have a look at the Gasworks Theatre page. So we might just end on a few ideas, both personal and a little bit left field, of some side projects that you might be able to incorporate in your life to find your passion. Family. Brew beer. Do some embroidery. Make some jam. Learn a new board game. Join a movie club. Start or join a book club. Do some slam poetry. And yoga. Always, always do yoga. They all sound like great (laughs) ideas to me. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.